are looking live. I don't believe what I just saw. Anything's possible. Live from the home of the world's smallest historical travel agency. <laughs> this is the 252. Sports talk radio is done by academics such as... Uh, Sam Mulberry. And, and Chris Moore. And Chris Garretts. Uh, yeah, this is basically being an extended infomercial episode of the 252, but don't but wait, turn the channel. call now, no, who right. gets to say, but that's not all? <laughs> oh, that's what me. Right. So uh, we'll, we won't give away too much, but in the second segment, you're going to want to come back because we are going to mentally... <laughs> Where would they go? <laughs> Uh, I, I yeah, good good question. Okay. Um, can I to just the say kitchen s- to get a pen and paper to write down this oh, okay. number? That's true. That's right. No, you're, you're going to want to come back to hear us kind of uh, take a mental journey through what will actually be a physical journey in June and July that we're going to be leading. Nice. Can I just say right off the bat, I need to get something off my chest. Oh, sure. I love doing the two five two. This Thanks, is the man. highlight of my week. But I just need to acknowledge something because. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to do this with you guys because I don't know if people realize you two are two of the funniest people on the Bethel faculty slash in the state of Minnesota. I was thinking about this last week yeah, at lunch. I, I don't like where this is going. I so. know. I feel like there's a turn coming. No, there's, there's no turn. This is pure praise slash misery on my part. I was like sitting at lunch. You two, like Sam was just like in a groove. I don't even remember what we were talking about. It was like every 30, it was like a rested development episode or something. Was, <laughs> I have reached the point where when I do that, I look at I look to you for I approval. Mm-hmm. And, and Chris is like the most naturally funny. I like, I, I it's not like I don't have a sense of humor. I can make students <laughs> laugh if I like go down the self-deprecation. People like route. me, yeah. But like to like keep up with you guys, like I I just want to mostly acknowledge you and then let people know the kind of effort that goes into this <laughs> on my part. This is why I actually steer the ship because I feel that like I'm the straight man. Yeah, I would group. say That's if you that. if you would join us in the writers' room from time to time, <laughs> like you you too would be <laughs> would be as funny as I us. Can't be bothered. I have to get my my eighteen holes in. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now that that's out of the way, let's get to the actual sports news. Um, sure, Chris Moore. I'm gonna I'm gonna call an audible here oh. and and do football. We're gonna talk yeah. about cheating. Yes, rules is a theme. I had one thing in mind. We're gonna come back to in the world of baseball, my favorite mm-hmm. sport. But let's start with football because it's a little bit closer to the actual event. Last Thursday night, and it would take something like this to make Thursday night football relevant. I exactly. Think. But at the end of a pretty dismal 21-7 game. The Browns managed to beat the Steelers. There was a kind of incident in the Steelers' end zone. Kind of an incident? You want to describe? I assume everyone's seen this by now, but like I came in the next morning and like I heard five separate conversations in different places. Not only this. that, do you, I want to tell you, <laughs> before you describe the incident, mm-hmm. I want to tell you how I learned about the incident. Oh, yeah. This was Friday morning. We were sitting down to record Bookish at Bethel, <laughs> and I witnessed a conversation between Carrie Peffley, Cleveland Browns fan, yep. Marion oh. Larson, and Anne-Marie Koistra wow. about this event. Are so they, this is wide-reaching. Are they, are they trying to poach our stuff here? I like, didn't put it on air. We did okay. record it, but I didn't put it on air. That got cut because I said that is 252's turf. It is. Okay, Chris, what, what happened trip. between Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph? Is that his name? Yes, that's okay. correct. So Mason Rudolph is the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, that's amazing by itself. Miles um, Garrett is the former uh, number one overall pick by the Cleveland Browns um, as a defensive end. I, I believe. believe so, yeah. Um, and this was a 21-7 game. The game was not close. 
at the end of the um, towards like with eight seconds left, uh, Rudolph drops back to throw a pass. Well, after the pass, Miles um, Garrett uh, knocks him down. Now this would be roughing the passer, yes. and a flag was thrown immediately. But he lands on top of Rudolph. And here I'm going to slow down to bullet time because this is what's clear afterwards. And I want to be clear as I'm yeah. even saying this. I am not a Cleveland Browns fan. I am not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I'm not a Cincinnati Bengals fan or Detroit Lions fan. I'm not a fan of any of these teams. And I'm actually pretty circumspect about professional football in general. Mm. Rudolph, the quarterback who has Garrett on top of him, grabs the rim of, of Garrett's uh, helmet and kind of wrenches on it a little bit. doesn't come off, but Garrett clearly takes umbrage at this. As he stands up, he grabs Rudolph by the helmet mm-hmm. and lifts him to the ground by his own face mask, rips the helmet off. At like, this point... Another- can I just say, like, if it stopped now, I feel like we could still be having this conversation. It's yes. It goes on even... I mean, like, the, he did literally lift him up by the helmet and wrenched it off of his head. Right. Okay. Another brown... Another... Steelers player steps in between them, and while this player is attempting to restrain uh, Garrett, Garrett takes the now acquired football helmet of <laughs> Mason Rudolph and smacks him on top of the head with it. Yeah. This uh, shockingly does not knock Rudolph out cold. He steps away, raises his hands as if to say, what is happening? Mm-hmm. And then an enormous scrum breaks out. Um, Garrett is tackled to the ground, and it, one Pittsburgh Steelers player, I think Pouncey, I believe Pouncey. is his last name, um, starts kicking Garrett in the head. Um, multiple ejections. Uh, Garrett has been suspended indefinitely, but at least the remainder of this season. Uh, Mason Rudolph's agent says they're considering pressing assault charges. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the ugliest look in professional football. The only real analogy I can draw to it is something that happened uh, re- uh, where we just celebrated the anniversary of was the 2004 Malice in the Palace. Except uh, that involved fans. That involved yeah. fans. <laughs> or there's a baseball analog to that. I think yes, it was what, true. 62 and Juan Mary Shaw is batting and clubs Johnny Roseboro over the head, the catcher of the Dodgers, with his bat. Right. You know? I mean, it, it, I was talking about this with my son to say, you know, we play sports with things that very easily become weapons. Yeah. And exactly. mostly it's just astonishing how rarely this happens, I guess. Right. But, but what was the larger takeaway? I mean, like, it, it could, it, it's assault, right? This does happen with hockey occasionally. You do get assault charges pressed. Um, but I don't know if I've ever heard about it with football, but it could be. Like, he right. legitimately could have killed or seriously injured this person. I am not aware of a of criminal charges ever being pressed because of an action on a football field. Hockey, yes. Yeah. But I am aware of, of sort of two layers of this, which I think are both really interesting. One, football is a game built on interpersonal violence. Mm-hmm. But it's interpersonal violence um, circumscribed by the rules. Mm-hmm. And we allow certain kinds of violence. We, we prohibit other kinds of violence. And this is not only outside the rules, as was roughing the passer, but it's also outside the norms. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, a level of, of ferocity and violence that took everyone aghast. And there is a level of, of almost sort of uh, virtue signaling is not the right word, but whether you are skeptical of professional football or a avowed fan of professional football, this gave everyone a chance to link arms and say, that's wrong. Right. And well, you know, in part, you, you said that that – you know, roughing the passer was also outside the rules. But actually, roughing the passer is against a rule. This is like yes. not even a like. There's, there's not. E- there's. Why would you have a rule about this? Because this is. Yeah, you may goes not rip off the player's helmet and beat them with it. It's right. not in the NFL rule book. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 beyond that. Where where I would say roughing the passer is something that's a penalty in the game, but we acknowledge. Well, it's sort of part of the game, but mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. this is something that goes even outside of that. So what comes of this? 
Beyond okay, the I, suspension. I'll talk about what comes in okay. this, but I, so uh, you had one other layer. Yeah, one, the other layer it. is, and I think this is worth noting, although I haven't thought deeply about how to respond to it, is the level of opprobrium over Miles Garrett's behavior was enormous, swift, comprehensive, and unified. And in that way, very different from the kinds of responses to NFL players in domestic violence situations. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And... I, that's probably because it occurs during the game. It's mm-hmm. indisputable, right. whereas other times there are criminal proceedings and not f- live footage of things happening. And so it is it is different in that way. But I, I thought that was sort of striking as well. Um, these are people trained to be in very confined kinds of ways, hyper-violent. And then outside those ways, we, we punish them quite severely when they step outside those bounds. And that is incredibly challenging. Yeah. What, so what comes of this? Um I think the NFL will react swiftly and harshly. It wouldn't. Uh, what, what raises an intriguing question is Garrett is an important and valuable football player, right. and in that way, he reminds me a little bit of Natomic and Sue from a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a decade ago, with the Detroit Lions, who had a series of on-field indiscretions, uh, stepping on players, mm-hmm. choking players, and eventually, despite his overall productivity, the Lions, for public relations reasons, basically had to cut ties with him. Yeah. And I wonder if there'll be something similar in the career now of, of Miles Garrett. This will define his career at least for the next several years if he continues with a career. Yeah, it's it did strike me as this moment where we all watch these games with a kind of illusion mm-hmm. that what's happening is not actually really violence. It's a kind of entertainment. I mean, it's not scripted pro wrestling like we talked about last time, but no one... Yeah, and then there's a moment that real like this is always simmering beneath the surface. We don't actually hear the kind of like uh, verbal violence that goes on. We don't see a lot of the little cheap shots that are happening. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you sit up, but then we'll forget about this in a week. And I watch football on Sunday afternoon. Like it stopped me from going back to the NFL. Well, yeah. and I, and I will say, I mean, mm-hmm. you. Th- the way you told the Indomitian Sioux story is that they eventually needed to cut ties with him. Another way to say that is he became a free agent and signed a huge contract with the Dolphins. That's all. Like, what am I saying? It? Right. You know, yeah. like, 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 so, so they, they needed to let go of him, but that doesn't mean he's His not. His career didn't end. Yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, I mean, occasionally in sports history, leagues will decide players can never play again. Right. Right. Uh, and so most famously in baseball, this has happened around gambling mm-hmm. uh, with several famous examples. To pivot then to baseball, there was another kind of cheating mm. where there's been some, it's kind of an open question what the penalty will actually be, but I suspect it will not be lifetime bans or anything quite that drastic. But uh, Sam, I think you're actually familiar with this. Do you want to tell the story of the Houston Astros? And yeah. So <clears throat> it's actually multiple cheating allegations. Yeah. And so, I, and I, when you posted this, this wasn't a story I was following, but I went back and, and read a little bit about it. So a lot of this seems to center around the 2017 yes. World Series yep. and the, the, um, the crime is um, stealing sign or stealing signs, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and it's not. I mean, and, and baseball's weird with some of these things because there are pieces. There are baseball has a lot of unwritten rules that are real rules mm-hmm. in terms of player interactions, um, and I think there's a version of sign stealing that fits as an unwritten rule, mm-hmm. and then there's a version of sign stealing that fits as a. This is actually a written rule, which in, when you start to involve technology mm-hmm. with it. Well, our way to say it is, I mean, there's even a version of sign stealing that is part of the game, right? Which is yeah. why, but like, right. so there are kind of levels here. There's the sign stealing that's totally fine, mm-hmm. 
Uh, there's the sign stealing that you, you know, players would police themselves, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's unwritten mm-hmm. rules. And then there's the sign stealing where the league, where you have a camera in center field and a yeah. monitor in your in your hallway, right? Yeah. So signaling then to someone in the in the dugout or in the bullpen, they're refining different ways to then let the batter know if an off speed or a fastball. It's right. basically if an off speed pitch was coming. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Was was. Um, yeah, I mean, this is not the first time this has happened. The Red Sox, about the same year, right, was the Apple Watch right, kind right. of instant. Um, which, which when I heard about that, I'm like, that's actually brilliant. Like, oh, what yeah. a great way to actually – I was like – because the tricky part is how do you signal to the batter? And it's like, well, actually, you have a little device there. You can yep. ping him. Uh, the Yankees have been accused of this before. Uh, I think even of, like, using people in the stands <laughs> to signal. <laughs> uh, kind of the most famous case is the 51 Giants. The shot heard around the world Giants actually were using um, someone in center field with a buzzer. Mm-hmm. I think. But it only came out much later. It was rumored for a long time. So Hmm. what do we make of that? I mean, one question that uh, 538 actually was asking is what difference did this actually make? And they looked at um, isolated power because the advantage of knowing like a changeup is coming is not only you're going to hit the ball, but you're going to hit it farther. Mm -hmm. Isolated power and strikeout percentage. And the Astros were an outlier at home, which is where the cheating was happening. Sure. I think they gained like 25 points of isolate power and they're 8% less likely to strike out. Hmm. That's um, significant. But they also found that on the road, it was almost the same thing. They, they were a little bit more likely to strike out, but their isolate power had gone up exactly the same amount where the cheating wasn't taking place. Hmm. And so it's not even clear how substantial an advantage the Astros gained from doing this. Mm-hmm. But I think the larger question is baseball, like most sports, there, there's a degree to which we celebrate kind of the ability to right. It's to gamesmanship, right. right? Yeah. I mean, everyone accepts that. This is why you give signals, right? I mean, when baseball first started, batters would actually call for a certain pitch in a certain location. We got past that, uh, and we got to the point where you don't want the other teams to steal, so you actually come up with signals. When someone gets on second base and could look straight in what the catcher is doing, you come up with different signals. Mm-hmm. And there are some players who made their like Robbie Alomar is in the Hall of Fame partly because he was such a brilliant sign stealer. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion is kind of a legendary sign stealer. Like this is just what's and they do it with like the third base coach and the first base coach. Mm-hmm. Teams are now going to kind of the football strategy where you've got multiple levels of signaling. You have mm-hmm. to figure out who's the one doing the signaling. Like so, why why is this causing such an outrage? Like I even saw some overheated take suggesting a kind of death penalty. Major League Baseball version for the Astros, like the World Series should be forfeited. There should be full gear suspensions for players. Like, I don't think anything like that will happen. But they were intent. I mean, this is at least analogous to kind of video gate with Bill Belichick. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they're intentionally circumventing rules, using technology. Other teams have been punished for this. Well, and I will say, I mean, this is where like – like I think about um, being a teacher and like the rules and policies we have and, you know, at one level – you feel you could say, well, okay, they're just trying to to get this competitive edge or things like this. But the the thing is, like, what about the people who are actually saying we want to play? We're trying to play by the rules, mm-hmm. and yeah, and I think that's that's always tricky. Now, what's interesting is is historically in college sports, rule breaking does lead to vacated title. Now, it's interesting to think about what is the value of a vacated title, mm-hmm. you know, or. You can tell me that the – I'll say this uh, to make Chris happy. You can tell me that, like, the the Fab Five didn't actually make a Final Four because those were vacated. But you know what? Like, we all saw that. They actually like, did. Right, like, yeah. like and, and we all – and not only that, but, like, we all lived through it. So, like, you – the experience of having done that happened. So, like, you can't erase – this is interesting as a historian maybe to say, yeah. like, like, well, if we alter the historical record, does that – 
what does that actually alter? Well, or, and, 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 but baseball hasn't done. I mean, there's been individual penalties for you've, players. You've asterisked but, things, you know, formally or informally. Sure, mm-hmm. like, you've done that. I mean, with you know the Babe Ruth, Roger Maris record, and then we've done it to the point with the steroids era. There is a level of dubiousness around all those records. I don't tend to think of Barry Bonds actually holding the home run record, even though I know he does. Right. And we decided they're not going in the Hall of Fame, right? Right. But Major League Baseball hasn't made that decision, but like the the culture around it has. No, true. And the other difference from college is there's not only the past penalty, there's the future penalty of you cannot then compete in certain. I mean, yep. Major League Baseball is not going to say the Astros can't go to the World Series next <laughs> Wouldn't year. Wouldn't that be weird? A postseason ban in professional wow. sports? <laughs> That'd be amazing. But I, I don't know. I mean, I do wonder, like, isn't – why is this different from steroids? I mean, play, mm-hmm. people were intentionally going around the rules right. in order to gain a competitive advantage. Not everyone was doing it. Mm-hmm. Who did who did the Astros play in 2017? Was that the – was that wasn't the Dodgers that year, was it? Or was it – I I I mean, the other thing is it's actually a very good team. Right. And I ask that because, like, to me, the interesting thing is, like, what do fans of that team feel like? Like, Mm -hmm. if you're you're actually – and granted, it was more than just the World Series. It was that season, really, is what we're talking about. But, like, like how how aggrieved do you feel if you realize years later this was – yeah, I don't, I don't even I don't know what we're supposed to do with that. Like that's what ends up being tricky about it. I think. Yeah. Okay. Can we turn to one can, more? Ba- oh, sorry. Can I, Chris. Can I throw one yep. more issue yep. of cheating on the line Please. here? I'll just make a brief mention of this. This isn't our script, but I think in, in keeping with this theme, um, uh, my Ohio State Buckeyes play the Penn State Nittany Lions this week, and mm-hmm. they get back uh, one of the this year's best players in college football, Chase Young, from a two-game suspension. Uh, the reason for his suspension comes from an NCAA rules infraction. Uh, last year, when Ohio State made the Rose Bowl, Chase Young borrowed some amount of small amount of money from a. I don't. I don't over editorialize this. He borrowed money mm-hmm. from a family friend. Mm-hmm. I'll put family friend in quotation marks here. That's unclear what that means. Um, in order to uh, buy a plane ticket and hotel accommodations for his girlfriend to come see him play in the Rose Bowl. He subsequently paid back the money, but borrowing money in this way is a violation of an NCAA rules of, of amateur eligibility. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ohio State, uh, OSU, uh, upon learning from this, preemptively suspended him for two games and then waited for the NCAA ruling, which ended up being a two-game suspension. Mm-hmm. So um, he's back on the field now, and we'll be back on the field next week for the uh, University of Michigan game as well. Um, but this elicited a, a round of reaction outside of college football. LeBron James tweeted about the unfairness of Chase Young being penalized for essentially trying to get his girlfriend to see him play in a sporting event and for having, you know, uh, sort of there was a lot of support for Young in this situation. And this is a form of cheating also, but a form of cheating that really redounds against the NCAA Hmm. in some ways. So, Okay. Well, let's move on to one more baseball story. I'm excited about this because I don't think either of you two know a lot about this. Chris and I talked about it yesterday. Sam, this is new to you. So you probably know that not only professional baseball is at multiple levels. You've got the major league teams, Mm -hmm. of course, 30, I think. Mm -hmm. And then you've got about 160 or so minor league teams that are professional teams structured very much like the major leagues in small Smaller, but, you know, some large cities around the country. Sure. Uh, plus, you also have three rookie leagues that aren't actually profit. I mean, they're, they're basically just developmental leagues in Florida, Arizona, and the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and this has been around for a long time. Uh, one of these leagues, the International League, is actually almost 20 years older than the American League. Mm. Uh, Pacific Coast League is about as old as the American League, almost became a third major league back in kind of the mid-20th century before the Dodgers and Giants moved out to the West Coast. Uh, and there is an agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, and it expires at the end of next season in 2020. Mm. And Major League Baseball has announced its intention slash desire to contract Minor League Baseball. And the details of the plan have now started to be reported, so I'll try to summarize them. But basically, they would like to eliminate 42 minor league teams, um, mostly at the rookie league and Class A, and especially short season Class A level. So the the biggest levels with the players who are least likely to reach the majors. and But a few AA teams. And they also want to then add to independent league teams, including our St. Paul Saints, hmm. I think, at the AAA level. Hmm. And so whole leagues would be eliminated. I think one new AAA league would actually be created. So it's it's a restructuring, but the ins- the ultimate uh, effect of this will be there will only be about 120 minor league teams. I think they're going to contract the rookie league teams too. And so major league teams will only be allowed to have four affiliates plus one rookie affiliate. Hmm. And they would be limited to 150 players under contract at the minor league level, whereas now I found the average is actually something like 275. Wow, so no that's kidding. a big difference. And the Yankees have nine affiliates with about 340 players under contract. Hmm. Wow. So this has all sorts of important implications. Uh, it is drawing political attention. A hundred members of Congress signed a mildly threatening letter yesterday, and presumably they're from these uh, teams. Bernie Sanders yesterday is campaigning in Iowa, and as it happens, three of these teams are in Iowa. Clinton, Burlington, and Quad Cities are all facing elimination, and he protested this and talked about how important minor league baseball was to him growing up. Like It has an economic impact in some of these towns. Uh, uh, the Twins Rookie League affiliate, uh, Elizabethton in Tennessee, in the, App- in the Appalachian League, Apparently, that town was given the choice between you can take money that was earmarked for a new police department or you can enhance your facilities and the Twins will keep their rookie league team there. And they went with the enhanced facilities Hmm. and now they're going to lose their team anyway. Now, the kind of bone that's been thrown is there would be a new, they call it like the Dreamer League, essentially an independent league with undrafted players who would be able to compete for the possible chance of then entering this this actual pipeline to the major leagues. Um. So, like, there are a lot of things we can talk about here. I just thought I'd throw it out and it's, see what you two want to start what with. What fascinates me, and again, I'm just hearing about this, what fascinates me is I didn't realize the disparity of players under contract and how many teams, how many affiliates each team had. So, like, at that level, I'm on board with saying, well, let's actually standardize. Let's like standardize that. And you, the thing is, you don't have to standardize and contract. You could standardize. Right. Yep. Um, which, so I'm sort of on board with mm-hmm. the standardizing. I'm saddened by the contraction. Now, I will say, and this is a, this is a privileged position of living in a relatively big metro mm-hmm. area is like, it doesn't, it doesn't, like, it doesn't affect me that this team, that this town loses. So I don't feel that part. I feel like, oh, well, this is baseball no one pays any attention to. But that's not true because no. I don't just don't live in those places. So, I mean, it would be one of those where I, I'd be fascinated to read local papers yep. talking about the meaning of this. So if you so, want to kind of take on this, New York Times did a piece a couple of days ago where they, I mean, they picked out certain cities and talked sure. to people who were both keeping their teams and what that meant, people losing their teams, the kind of economic impact. My version of this is my parents live in Pulaski, Virginia, which is in the same Appalachian League as Elizabethton. Pulaski would actually keep their team, move up to a single A league. Hmm. They're a Yankees affiliate. Um, 
it was going nowhere and the Yankees took over and the local car dealer bought the team, poured all sorts of money into redoing Calfee Park, but it's part of a larger redevelopment of this basically post-coal mining, post-manufacturing town that mm-hmm. had a fifteen percent unemployment rate. Like downtown is being redeveloped by this guy. I mean, like it it's actually become kind of a pivotal part of the economic turnaround of this place in Trump country. Hmm. Um so that's a team that's keeping it, but that's what it takes, apparently, right? right? Now, what's what's interesting, like on a competitive level, like I find it interesting the thought of, okay, you only have X number of players that you can have under contract because that actually, I think about, um, this, is, this is a weird dive, but there was a player that my brother-in-law knew who played at the University of Alabama, was a, played on the left side of the infield in the Yankee organization. So left side of the infield yeah. uh, in the last, about 15 years ago, yeah. uh, named Andy Phillips. And he was he won the um, minor league all star MVP. He won all these things, but you're behind Jeter and A Rod and a guy like that. If you have a limited number of spots, you're probably less likely to hang on to an asset. You're more likely to there might be more even more movement between teams mm-hmm. to say like, well, we only have X number of spots. This guy's starting to reach the age of twenty six, twenty seven, and we don't have a need for him. Mm-hmm. You might be more likely to pull the trigger on that guy getting a shot at the show. Yeah, so an odd thing about baseball labor is every team, every organization keeps what are called organization players. I mean, they're simply to fill out roster can you, so you can have competitive games for the actual prospects, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So they can be in meaningful baseball. And, and like at a certain point, some players have to recognize this, that that is going to be your job until you hit age 29 to 31, mm-hmm. usually, and then you go do Your Crash else. Davis types. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so like... You know, hundreds and hundreds. I mean, I could do them. If it actually is, you're losing about 120 players, multiply that by 30. Mm-hmm. Now, this is no small number of jobs are being eliminated. Right. But as far as I know, I don't know that minor league players are actually part of the Major League ba- Baseball Players Association. I don't think so. I don't think they're unionized. Like, they they have no say. This is actually a negotiation between Major League Baseball and the owners of Minor League Baseball because only about 10% of Minor League teams are actually directly owned by the Major League team. With that in mind, Chris, you yeah. said – we talked about this yesterday, but why is MLB wanting to contract? Yeah. So, so historically, the reason you've got – because actually, it used to be even bigger. Like at the peak after World War II, there were over 400 minor league teams affiliated with major league teams. Like mm-hmm. This all started in the 1920s and 30s under Branch Rickey, who was the St. Louis Cardinals general manager, who decided to start affiliating directly. It used to be these were much more independent, self-controlled, and then they would sell players to raise money. So like the Baltimore Orioles were an international league team who sold Babe Ruth to the Red Sox when he was like 19 raise money. It's not that they were a farm team. That grew up in the during the Great Depression, really. Um, and the Cardinals had at one point, I think, I want to say like 30 minor league teams. Mm. And that was how Ricky decided to do player development. Instead of just outsourcing this to these independent contractors and then poaching players, you, you would actually pay for hundreds of players and the system would gradually pyramid up until Major League Baseball. And, mm. and so the kind of rule of thumb is Things like 10 to 20% each level, right? And at the end, like something less than 10% of all minor league players will ever get even a cup of coffee in the major leagues. Um, it's a very inefficient system, right? Like you are paying not a lot. I mean, it's not much pay, but you are paying all those players. You're paying all the kind of ancillary costs that go with this. You're investing in facilities, uh, you know, but now we've got analytics, right? We have other mm-hmm. kinds of statistics mm-hmm. that are equally good predictors of major league success. Like a lot of teams, this is what college baseball is for. I mean, we're almost in some ways moving closer to the NFL-like system where 
it's not the combines, but like college performance or Japanese league or Korean league performance, you can actually construct ways of saying that you is likely to produce yeah. this kind of major league player. And so why pay for two to five years of minor league player development knowing that most of those are going to go for you? Right. And presumably minor league teams lose money? I mean, that's a... Because you, yeah, you, you don't it, contract something that makes money. Right. No, it, and that's why some of the, and like attendance varies a great deal. Like some of these draw 100 to 200 people a night. Uh, some of the best AAA teams get 10,000 plus mm-hmm. a night. You know, Buffalo is kind of a historic example of that in the International League. Um, so, I mean, mostly I just kind of encourage people are paying any attention to minor league baseball because it's a relatively significant part of the baseball story we tend to ignore except insofar as someone gets promoted to the majors mm-hmm. right but it is interesting in a league without a salary cap this is a way to cut out a little bit of competitive advantage from very wealthy teams to it's just true. say you do level yeah, we're just going to have we're going to roll the dice we're going to buy more lottery tickets and yep. you, that increases our chance yeah yep so and i don't know how this relates then to the big collective bargaining agreement between the players association major league baseball i haven't heard that kind of discussion mm. but that's also like a year or so behind all of the well of i am discussion. very torn on this story. There I like go. it. So we'll, sh- we'll share some links to this at our Facebook page for Channel 3900. And of course, I'll have a show page at my blog, Pietist Schoolman, with uh, all these links. Uh, Sam, before we move on to our discussion of a Pietist Schoolman-related trip, can you update us on our three to see from two weeks ago? Sure. So two weeks ago, Chris Moore said that we should watch the LSU-Alabama football game, number one versus number two. Uh, How'd that go? LSU won 46-41. Anybody watch? It sounds like a pretty fun game. I didn't watch it. I didn't actually did not watch any of it. So Seriously, guys? Yeah. Oh, Did you? I, honestly, was it a good game? Yeah, it was, it was okay. kind of fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the, sc- <laughs> the score is good, but sometimes scores can be deceptive. This is We're really not showing our bona fides here where it's like, what's the narrative of this game? I didn't really see it. Uh, I, but it was definitely worth the watch. Yes. Um, I said that uh, the World Paralympic Championships uh, was, should be watched. That happened. I'm sure it was worth the watch. I don't really know how to report on <laughs> lots of people won Triumph of the Human Spirit. Um, Can I break down the Davis Cup? Please do. Now, this is a little hard because it actually just started this week. And, mm-hmm. and so like I guess I'd say continue to watch. The one thing I can report is the U.S. is in a group of three. It lost its first match to Canada 2-1. to one. It actually lost the first two single match, and then they just walked over the doubles match. So <laughs> that's not, it doesn't seem like a good sign for the United States. A worse sign is that if you put a gun to my head, and having looked at this an hour ago, I could not possibly name any player on the U.S. team or the Canadian team. I think huh. the top-rated U.S. player in the Davis Cup is like number 32 singles in the world. Hmm. And I still can't come up with his name. Wow. The highest, so the by far the top-rated team is France, and they won their first match. Um, their top-rated player is uh, Gael Monfils, who's number 10 in the world. Hmm. And that yeah. drops off. And one of their players is like number 150 or hmm. something. So huh. my sense is Davis Cup has maybe lost a little bit of the prestige. Because I seem like to recall like Jimmy Connors would play Davis sure, Cup. Or sure, sure. Yeah. Stefan Edberg would play Davis Cup. Okay, so uh, that's your update. We'll have three more to see before we're done. But before we get there, we are very much looking forward to taking you through an eight-day trip of a lifetime for sports slash history fans. Come back in segment two to hear about our Pietist Gilman travel tour that we're all leading. This week in sports history, 
Boston, Massachusetts, November 20, 1928. Boston Garden opens for business with the host Bruins losing 1-0 to the Montreal Canadiens. Before it was demolished 70 years later, the Garden hosted 17 Stanley Cup Finals, 19 NBA Finals, and 5 All-Star Games, plus everyone from the Beatles to Billy Graham. Melbourne, Australia, November 22, 1956. The first Olympics in the Southern Hemisphere opens in Australia's second largest city. The Soviet Union wins the medal count for the first time in the Summer Games, although they lose the water polo goal to the Hungarians in a famously bloody match. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, November 23, 1943. Baseball commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis suspends new Phillies owner William D. Cox for having placed bets on his own team. The suspension becomes a lifetime ban from baseball, but Cox later helps to bring professional soccer to the U.S. in the 1960s. Auburn, Alabama, November 30th, 2013. With the Iron Bowl tied 28-28 and one second left to play, top-ranked Alabama attempts a game-winning field goal from 57 yards away. What happens next enters college football lore as the kick six. Mandel will hold it. Now they've officially made it 57 yards. Remember, a blocked kick can go the other way, too. He's got to be careful and get it up. On the way. No, returned by Chris Davis. Davis goes left. Davis gets a block. Davis has another block. Chris Davis. No flags. Touchdown, Auburn. An answered prayer. You've been listening to This Week in Sports History. Welcome back to the 252. Uh, we're going to have a conversation among the three of us about a very different kind of topic. Now, this is going to sound awfully self-serving because we're each going to profit off of this. But it's, it's also for, you serving, it our is, listeners. It is entirely, <laughs> partially in your interest. <laughs> because you might not know that, uh, well, you, you might know if you're Bethel really, that uh, Sam and I have led several trips to Europe as part of Bethel's J-term to teach a class on World War One. And earlier this summer, uh, I decided to take that to the next level because we often talk about this trip and friends, family, alumni, colleagues would say, that sounds great. I wish I could do that. And we thought, let's make that happen. And we led a version of our World Wars trip to Europe in June. Um, and I set up a small company called Pietist Schoolman Travel because my blog is called The Pietist Schoolman. I didn't want to rebrand. And <laughs> it's really Nothing like inertia. <laughs> it's really interesting to tell hotels your company is called Pietist Schoolman Travel and see what happens then. <laughs> but anyway, Pietist Schoolman Travel, we're going to try this every year. And I wanted to alternate between foreign and domestic travel. Um, so we will have one for 2021, back to Europe, more on that later. But for 2020, because Chris and I were developing the sports history mm-hmm. class and the three of us were doing the 252, it seemed like it would be a good idea to think about doing a sports history trip. And so we've had a lot of fun dreaming this up. And we made it official this week. I put a deposit down on a big, luxurious bus that's going to take us around the East Coast and the Midwest. The best bus. I Just put, a gorgeous bus. It's a gorgeous bus. The best. Uh, I put deposits down on, on group tickets for a couple of really great games at some pretty fantastic venues. And we thought, let's take everyone through this. And then at the end of this, we'll tell you, if you're excited, how you can join us because we're now taking applications. So... At this point, I've got it memorized, so I'm going to narrate this, and then I just kind of want some reactions from you two. At various points, as you get excited or there's something that comes to mind, 
We're going to start uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, home of the Boston Garden, which we just heard about. You can go to the TD Garden, I guess, if you want to. There's a museum. Uh, the idea is that we'll start on June 28th, which is a Sunday. But, of course, people fly in before. So if you want to get there early, that's great. We're going to start on June 28th with a Red Sox game against the St. Louis Cardinals, a good interleague matchup mm-hmm. at Fenway Park. Nice. Uh, and, like, they'll... I don't know if that'll be a night game or a day game. The rest of the day, you'll have to explore Boston, which is cool in its own right. Um, have either of you two been to Fenway before? I have never been not. to Boston, so uh, this is that's going to be exciting just for that. I mean, Fenway is – there's a lot of dreams come true on this trip, but it kicks off with one. Um, you get to go to one of the cathedrals of baseball. Like, is this, this is the oldest still. This is the oldest. Oldest stadium. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and so you think about all of the baseball history that happened there. Um, my all-time favorite player is Ted Williams. So just the thought of, like, being in Fenway Park um, is is pretty amazing. And I have I was telling Chris, I've never been – the only Major League Baseball stadiums I've ever been to um, were the Metrodome and Target Field. So I've never oh, okay. I've never been to a Major League game not in Minnesota. Sure. So that alone is, is really, really exciting. And then uh, that particular park – and actually seeing Red Sox Cardinals is exciting just because yeah. those yeah. are also yeah. two storied franchises. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's – yeah, I, I was in the same boat as you. I had never been to Boston or to Fenway until last summer. I, I had a chance to preach at a church in Massachusetts, so I came up early, went to a Red Sox-Mariners game. Hmm. <laughs> Fenway is everything you would hope it would be. Oh, like, I mean, cool. and that's like, it's old, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the seats are crowded, right? Mm-hmm. And they're hard, but it is it is beautiful. Like, I know I love baseball more than anyone really <laughs> should, but like tears came to my eyes, like walking into the grandstand, looking out at the Green Monster, like and it's cool the way they've set it up is you actually enter kind of down the street and uh, I don't know the street it's the street along the first base right field line mm-hmm. they turn into kind of like this festival so like there are stands there are souvenir shops there are restaurants you go into so you actually go in and then you can just walk in and out of Fenway and you go past they've restored these old like ticket counter or ticket offices you just walk in and out and mm. it's so the ticketing atmosphere. happens before you get yeah. to that street right yeah. okay yeah. and there might be another entrance on the other side that was mm-hmm. just where I happened to come in but. Yeah, it's fun. Like, the crowd is into it. Like, I was there in June last time, too, just like we will be. It was like it was not like a playoff race or anything, but, like, the crowd is into it. It's knowledgeable. They're not filling with lots of extraneous noise. They don't do silly things between innings. Like, people are just into the game the whole time, Mm. and they're serious fans, and it's going to be a blast. My only challenge is that (laughs) if I have any of my wife's family with me, they're Cardinals fans. And my son is coming (laughs) with, and he even asks, like, can I wear a Cardinals hat? It's like, Where are your twins at? Maybe the twins at. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how we start. So I think that's a pretty good start. The next day, a very nice bus will pick us up at our hotel and will take us first to Springfield, Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. which is less than two hours away. We tried to keep kind of like one and a half to three hour segments of driving to keep it down. Um, In Springfield, Massachusetts, we come to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Springfield is where James Naismith a uh, Christian physical educator with the YMCA founded both basketball and volleyball, I think, in the 1890s. And so this is where they put the Hall of Fame. I've never been to this before. Uh, Chris, you're a big basketball fan. Is, yes. is there anything you're especially looking forward to seeing? I know they actually have a court that you can play on. As That'd part be of pretty this. sweet. Yeah. I, don't, um, I don't know. Like, do you put a quarter in and get a basketball out? I, don't know <laughs> I have no idea. Um, do you need to bring a ball? Um but I'm really excited, and this will be a theme for the trip for me, is I want to kind of have an ongoing conversation about how we go about memorializing. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that a lot in 
war. And mm-hmm. you, you talk about that in your World War I trip. I talk about that in my classes, how do we rem- choose to remember. But I want to compare and contrast that to how we choose to remember athletes. And I want to look at – and we're, we're, this is not the only museum piece right. we're going to be seeing. Mm-hmm. And so – but it starts here. And well, I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's interesting because I haven't been to the Basketball Hall of Fame, but I've been to a couple that we're going to visit. And they really are about, you know, American myth-making, American mythology. Exactly. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is the, – the other thing that, that – I know multiple – Chris and I are both going to be experiencing – I'm going to be experiencing in both directions is so much of American sports is about fathers and sons. Yep. Mm-hmm. So my son is going to be on this trip. My dad's also going to be on this mm-hmm. trip. And these – some of these places are pe- places we've talked about our whole lives. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to go to this or that? So uh, there's this this sense of like me seeing people who – were my heroes or things about them or, you know, or in the, the memorabilia and the, I mean, really the museum exhibits about that. My dad viewing that through his eyes, my son viewing that through his eyes, that's going to be really interesting uh, when we, when we go to some of these places that are more about memory. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a good theme. It also underscores, um, it's going to be a blast. It's going mm-hmm. to be fun. Like, we're going to see lots of games, lots of museums. Like, it's also educational. I mean, I think one thing I've tried to think about in setting up this company is what's the difference here? And one is like we're doing this as professors, as as scholars, and, and as fans. And, and so like we do want to find ways to step back from this and let's think about, I mean, the way we do in this podcast and the way we're going to do in the course – we are going to talk about how this reflects society, how sports have changed society. And I think memory and myth-making is a really fruitful theme. And speaking of that, we'll end that ver- that leg of the trip in Cooperstown, New York. Stay go. hopefully on Lake Oswego and then go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Man, that is myth-making right there. Yes. Yep. So, yes, I mean, is. if you don't know, the reason the Baseball Hall of Fame is in Cooperstown is that uh, Albert Goodwill Spaulding, the, um, the baseball former player slash sporting good magnet, decided he wanted to prove that baseball had a distinctly American origin story. And he managed to cook up this ridiculous story about a Civil War hero founding baseball in this beautiful double town in the Finger Lakes. Right, that's not actually true. Like, we won't tell the <laughs> real story, but like that—that that is what you're kind of you're stepping into myth. Hmm. But something people take very seriously. We have debates about who is in the Hall of Fame and what that story is. And you know, a big debate there is when do Negro League players get added? How do yep. we tell their story? Which is obviously a complicated one. But I obviously I'm looking forward to that. I've been to Cooperstown once. Uh, I woke up in the middle of the night to drive from New Haven, Connecticut, to Cooperstown to see my very favorite player, Kirby Puckett, inducted into the hmm. Hall of Fame. And I never actually went to the museum. Like, I just went to the Hall of Fame. So, so like, you've never been in. I've never been here. I have. You're going to love it, oh, yeah. obviously. Uh, if we went in 2016, and um, it, it, it is, as a historian, it's great because it is sort of looking at sort of how the story is told and things like that. So, like, this is, yeah, there's going to be so much to unpack with it. And then there is just the I am reliving moments of my childhood and, and, and my. And and the childhoods of the people who came before me, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, we'll unpack this in lots of different ways. Yeah, we'll, I mean, if you want, you can eat with us. You can talk with us on the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll actually be doing classes before this, mm-hmm. either live here at Bethel or we'll try to video them like we did with our previous trip. Um, well, we might even do podcasting that you can listen to before or on the bus. So we'll, mm-hmm. we'll give you lots of ways to engage with us on this. Uh, from there, we're going to drive across the state of New York. So I think the longest actual bus segment. So we might even have like sports movies going on the bus or something. <laughs> uh, and we're going to spend the night in Toronto, Canada. Uh, now, the fun thing is we managed to actually set up the timing of this. Not only We kind of built it around the start and stop, but it actually works out. The Blue Jays are playing the White Sox. So if we get there in time, you can go to Rogers Center, see some more baseball, check another stadium off your list. Mm-hmm. Walk around downtown Toronto is nice. And then the next morning, we'll go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, and then from there, we're going to drive to Cleveland, Ohio, around the Great Lakes. Uh, 
There's an Indians Astros game. So if you want to see some people cheat at baseball, you can go watch that. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, or you can go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So the other thing I want to kind of pause to highlight is we're also going to see some pretty great cities that I haven't been to most of these places before. As much as possible, we're going to try to get like downtown hotels where if you just want to walk around places, do shopping, see other sites, you can do it. I got an email from the curator of the Baseball Heritage Museum in Cleveland who invited us to come by. So if timing works, you can do that. Fantastic. Uh, from there, Chris, I'm going to turn this next leg over to you. We're going to drive from we're Cleveland head, head south down, to uh, Canton. Uh, right, what's the highway? 71. Okay, so it's like an hour south of Cleveland. It's Canton, Ohio, home of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. which, Sam, I think you've been I, to. I was in like 1991. And I have been, been there also. Okay, I've never yeah. been there. Uh, and then continuing the football theme, we'll spend the night in a city Chris knows very well, Columbus, Ohio. bus. And <laughs> we're, I don't think there's a AAA baseball game. I don't think no, the crew the, are the in town. Are playing, we'll yeah. see. But there is a somewhat large stadium there. Home of a multinational champion. I think it's yeah, I think a it's state university the of some shoe. Sort. Yeah, so we're actually, they do Ohio Stadium tours. We're going to see that. I'm just excited for Chris Moore yep. in Columbus, Ohio. Like gonna, that's, we're just going to hand that. Yeah. Like the Ohio stage is all Chris. I believe in basketball, we call it a clear out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm real, I'm real excited. Um, I am too, like, because there's so much pro sports is diming this. There are going to be a couple of college sports moments. I think this is the first one. And it's a way to do football in the middle of the summer, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I've never, I've, I've been to Ohio State once. I, like, drove by and it just seemed big. Like, is there, what should we expect of Ohio Stadium? I assume you've been inside it before. I have. Now, I'm really interested to see how the, how the tour works mm-hmm. because I've never taken a tour of it. I've only been as a fan in the stadium. And... It'll be, I, I have a sense that it's going to be eerie because mm. I'm used to a stadium when it's got 115,000 people in it. And when, in, when a touchdown scored, the concrete shakes. Mm. And I don't know what it's going to be like <laughs> to have just a, a tour sort of quietly walking around it. And, um, yeah, I'm sort of fascinated to see what the, what, the, what the ghosts feel like. Yeah. Well, and I assume they take you behind the scenes on a yep. locker room. There's probably some kind of museum trophy. Like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm exactly. curious to see it. As yeah. a very casual football fan, mm-hmm. I'm, I recognize the gravity of that place. And, and, and although Ohio State is, in fact, huge, mm-hmm. it really the stadium is sort of nicely situated mm-hmm. on campus. Yep. It's different from uh, Ohio State's basketball facilities or hockey facilities, which are really kind of, yeah, off set off from the rest of campus. But if you walk away from the... The stadium, like you walk into the math department, mm-hmm. and I think that's mm-hmm. really kind of interesting. And maybe I'll, you know, I don't. I think anyone really wants to see the Department of Political Science at Ohio State <laughs> University, but it's only That'd about an optional. Tour it's only about eat. a block away from the uh, from the stadium. Okay. From there, we will head further south uh, into the great state of Kentucky. We'll cross the Ohio River and go to uh, I think a pretty cool city, Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll. I think our plan is we'll start by heading a little bit south of the city to Churchill Downs. Uh, Sam, unfortunately, racing season that ends my before heart. we go. Yeah. I tried so hard. Like, originally it was going to work and it fell through. So we will not actually see a race at Churchill Downs. Um, we will actually, though, take a tour. And there's – I've actually been here. The Kentucky Derby Museum is pretty cool. They've got, like, a 360 kind of film about it that you can go in and oh, watch. Interesting. You can actually ride a horse. You can pick a closer or uh, hmm. a mucker. I think those are terms. Sure, we'll, we'll give you that. <laughs> so why, Sam, I, we've done a whole discussion of, of horse racing. But why should people care about going to Churchill Downs if they're really, they're here for the baseball or the football or the basketball? Right. I mean, well, I mean, it is, as we talk about sports history, I mean, there is a moment in in, in American history where boxing and horse racing are the, the two big sports. Mm-hmm. And 
this is the Yankee Stadium of horse racing. I'm trying to think, like, what is the analogy? Like, yeah, this is yeah. the place, right? Like, this is um, the most important race um, and 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 far older than Fenway Park. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think, like, like there, it's a... When we go to Europe and we study wars, like part of it is like is visiting the places where these things mm-hmm. took place, and this is a this is hallowed ground in that way. Yeah, you know, I think for for a fan of of horse racing or a fan of sports, I yeah. think it's and I think it it also uncovers a, a set a a sport that we don't always think about. Right. Yeah. I mean, as a again a very casual fan, I, I found it pretty powerful. Even though I was there on an empty day, like just to see it, like oh they. That that's where the paramutual part, like that's where the betting hat, like you mm-hmm. realize how intertwined those two, the kind of mm-hmm. business of it. You walk around the paddocks. I mean, if you want to, you can learn more about the kind of um, what goes into training, breeding, all that stuff. Um, from there, I think we'll probably then go back, stay downtown. And at that point, there are several options. Uh, if you're interested, you can go to the Muhammad Ali Center because he's Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali is one of Louisville's favorite sons. You can go to the Louisville Slugger Factory if you're a baseball mm. fan, which I think that's where my son will insist that we go. Mm-hmm. And if if you want, the AAA team, the Louisville Bats, are playing the Indianapolis Indians uh, that night uh, in downtown Louisville. So if you want some minor league baseball that we just talked about, those teams aren't going anywhere. In fact, they will play the next night in Indianapolis, which is the next place we're headed. This is Saturday now. It's we the, get a home and home. <laughs> it's the 4th of July. So we will nice. start. It's a short drive at that point, and we're going to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Which uh, we need to talk to Dr. Shady about getting mm-hmm. on this track. Should we take the bus around the track? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I, I looked at the tour. I think they're actually you, – you do go on the track as, oh, as that's part fantastic. of this. It should be great. Again, there's not going to be racing where it's sure. 150,000 people. <laughs> but we will see the Motor Speedway. And then, again, go into downtown. At that point, if you want, the NCAA has what's called the Hall of Champions, which is its mm-hmm. museum. Uh, and then it's 4th of July, and there's a big downtown, I think it's called the Freedom Fest, or there's minor league baseball. I haven't seen the WNBA schedule, but the fever might be in town. We'll, we'll see. Okay. And then we'll close on next Sunday. So this is July 5th. We'll drive up to Chicago, Illinois, and we're going to watch the Chicago Clubs do interleague baseball. That's kind of the theme of this. Yeah, against right. the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I assume this would be a day game. It's at Wrigley Field, which seems – if we're going to start at Fenway, ending at Wrigley seems right. very appropriate. Have either of you been to Wrigley? I've never no. been to Wrigley. Neither have I. I've, that's a, that was uh, – as, as a kid who grew up on uh, afternoon baseball on WGN, that's a, that is also a dream come yep. true. So, mm-hmm. so I, I – and then we'll do a – we're kind of, again, depending on the timing of the game, we'll either do a farewell lunch or a farewell supper at some nice restaurant in Chicago, and then we'll go our separate ways at that point. But mm-hmm. – yeah, so I think it actually works out to eight days, nine nights. Uh, so uh, it costs $2,400 per person. Hotels are all paid for with breakfast included, all the tickets, all the admission that's paid for, the educational part that we do, that's included. The bus mm-hmm. is included, uh, minus whatever tip you want to give the driver. So it doesn't include airfare, and that's uh, because we want to give people the choice. People are coming from all around. Some people are going to get to Boston early, leave Chicago late. I will um, say some people who are signed up for the trip early uh, have been looking at flights and you can get to Boston for pretty cheap. Apparently. Yeah, it's a pretty good like, – go mm-hmm. ahead and like, – I will say like we need to confirm we have enough people to do the trip. Right. But it's it's less expensive than you might think. Um, like past that, like most meals, you're on your own. Like we're going to spend a lot of time together in the middle of the day. But lunches will give people a break to go find something on the road. And then the night, like hopefully we'll be in downtown so you can identify some cool restaurants or go get a hot dog at a baseball game in Toronto or Cleveland or something. Yeah. Um, so there's some other costs with there. If you're traveling as a family, we'll try to work it out. If you want to stay together in one room, we can probably bring the price down for you to make it more feasible. Because I do think this probably more than some of the other trips we do is a good thing to do with like multi-generation if you have kids right. want to go 
Yeah, I think like 10 probably is the cutoff given the kind of attention that's required get sitting in a bus for three hours. But um, we can always talk about that. So if you're interested in learning more, lots of ways you can find out. You can just email me directly at bethelcgarrett at bethel.edu if you want, or chris at pietistschoolman, or go to pietistschoolman.com, look for the travel page, or look for the blog post I just did on Monday about this. There's a brochure that's a PDF you can download. It ends... Uh, with a one-page application and a deposit check that you send to me, and that gets you on the list. Uh, otherwise, you can find Pietus Schoolman Travel on Facebook. Uh, we'll put this on our Channel 3900 Facebook page. So lots of ways you can get to this. Uh, if you're struggling, just email me is probably the best. So hope to see a lot of our listeners. It's also a chance to actually like see listers. I'm kind of curious if we get a few people out of this, we can actually talk about the 252 together. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun, you guys. It's going to be great. Can't okay. Wait. We'll be right back to wrap things up with 3 to see. Get in touch with the show by emailing us at channel3900 at gmail.com. Okay, before we go, we've got three to see for kind of the end of November, slightly into the first day of December. Chris, lead us off. Sure. The Lions, the Bears, the Falcons, oh my, are all playing on Thanksgiving. But if you want to see the best dog, wow. check out the National Dog Show. Coverage That's a liberal arts education, right? That Thank was you. skilled writing you just did. Thank LB in college graduate, Chris Moore. <laughs> um, if you want to check out the National Dog Show, this is not the Westminster Dog Show, by the way, but mm. this is also a very important and actually older dog show. Um, coverage starts at NBC after the Macy's Parade. This year, interestingly, the Azauka uh, makes its National Dog Show debut. The only breed recognized by the AKC that is taller than it is long. It's the American Kennel Club. Wow. That's the American Kennel Club, yep. The Azauka uh, originated from Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger and was bred to be guardians and hunters. Hmm. The Azauka will compete in the hound group. Last year, Whiskey, the Whippet, <laughs> beat out 1,992 dogs representing 185 breeds to claim best in show. I need to do a lot of Googling after hearing that. <laughs> Please so. do. All right. <laughs> Sam, you're next. Uh, college basketball is back, and it's that means it's time for preseason mm-hmm. tournaments. On November 21st and 22nd, Madison Square Garden hosts the Empire Classic, featuring Georgetown, California, number 22, Texas, and number one, Duke. Now, for those of you who need a local tie-in, Duke features two Minnesotans, sophomore guard Trey Jones from Apple Valley, and freshman forward Matthew Hurt from Rochester. Uh, Georgetown is coached by alum Patrick Ewing, who has some memorable moments in MSG during his NBA career with the Knicks. I have to say, I did think at one point about including New York on this trip Mm -hmm. to see the Garden, maybe Yankee Stadium. Uh, I'm kind of fine that we didn't, but the next time. That's right. There's always next year. All right. On Sunday, November 24th, Calgary will host the Grey Cup for the fifth time 
in the event's 110-year history. The 15-3 and three Hamilton Tiger Cats are favorites against the 11-7 and seven Winnipeg Blue Bombers, whom they've defeated twice already this season. I assume it's hard to beat a team three times in Canadian football, as with other sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tiger Cat kicker and punter, by the way, is named Liram Hairulahu, who kicked the winning field goal in the snow in the last minute of the 2017 Grey Cup when he was with the Toronto Argonauts. Hairulahu came to Canada in 1998. Is an eight-year-old refugee from the attempted ethnic cleansing in Kosovo. His family is ethnic Albanian. Fascinating. There you go. All right. So it's been a good episode, guys. Uh, brief discussion of Thanksgiving plans. Anything on the docket for next week besides watching the dog show? It's mostly dog show for me. Okay. If you get a chance, um, uh, Brussels sprouts with a little bit of pancetta and a little bit of balsamic vinegar. This is Ooh. true. It's the best possible Thanksgiving roasted side or dish. Roasted top. Roast, roasted. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good way to go. Yeah. 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 Uh, we'll do another episode about Thanksgiving recipes, or you can probably find that's that right. in the archives. Somewhere. I'm smoking a turkey, so that's actually what oh, we're doing. Sounds so. fantastic. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, Chris, you want to take us out? On behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, you can always get a hold of us at channel3900 at gmail.com. And until we hear from you, go Royals. Go Royals.